jump in now. We're going to jump into the sermon. And we're going to continue this series that we're calling The First Sermons. And I want to begin with breaking some myths, some myths about the Bible. All right, take a look at this list. I found an article recently, and it was 11 things you think are in the Bible but really aren't. An apple in the garden. Many of us think an apple is in the garden. No, actually, Genesis, Genesis. there in the beginning of Genesis, the word is fruit. We've just made it an apple over time. We think there were three wise men. That's part of the mythology of how we celebrate Christmas. Well, really, the scriptures just say there were three gifts. We don't really know exactly how many wise men there were. We also have this idea that a whale swallowed Jonah. But actually, the book of Jonah calls it a big fish. And we just assume because a whale is a big fish that maybe that was the thing that swallowed him. But we really don't know. And then there's this, this other thing that we might think is in the Bible, but it really isn't. We have this saying that we think comes from the Bible that money is the root of all evil. Actually, what Paul says there in 1 Timothy is money is the root of all kinds of evil, not all evil. Uh, so, a small distinction there, but still. So, these are things that we just assume are in the Bible, but they're not. I hope I didn't make anyone mad there. I hope I didn't just crush your dreams of what Christmas really is. Uh, but, those are some things in the Bible uh, that we think are in the Bible, but really aren't. That is kind of what happened this morning as I took my journey into preparing for this week's sermon. As I began to study... I knew we were hitting that moment in this first sermon from Peter in the book of Acts, chapter 2, where Peter's actually going to reference the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. So those two things are going to get referenced. Those are the key plot points of the sermon this morning in this next section of Acts, chapter 2, when Peter makes his first public declaration of the gospel of Jesus. And so I just assumed that stepping into that part of this sermon, that when he talks about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, that he would say some things. Kind of say the things that we always say when we talk about the cross, when we talk about the resurrection. I just assumed that this message would be framed about some key things that I just imagined would always be there when the gospel was first preached. You know those things as well as I do. Like, Jesus died for the forgiveness of of our sins, or Jesus was the Lamb of God slain on behalf of the world, or maybe that famous phrase that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. I just assumed that that's what I would find. We'd be talking about all the reasons why Jesus died on the cross. But what we find is actually something different. So I want you to take a journey with me into the next section of this first sermon preached in Acts 2 and find that same discovery, that same, that same thing that I didn't see when I first looked. Here it is. Let's take a look at the passage. Acts 2, we'll start with verse 22. We'll move to verse 24. Here it is. This is the next section in Peter's sermon. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, 
put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That's the passage, that's the section we're going to unpack this morning. Last week we looked at verse 22, but we want to start with verse 22 this week as a reminder to a key point that we made last week. It's very important that we we get this on the ground. Here it is. Let's take a look. We're going to throw it up on a slide right now. We're going to throw that up on a slide. Here it is. Jesus lived a real life in a real human body in the power of God. So that's what... That's a key thing we need to see. That before we ever talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection, we are talking about a real human being, God in real flesh, who got who had who who got tired, who hurt, who got sad, who celebrated, but a real human moving in the power of God. And it's that real human then that Peter is going to talk about next. And he's going to tell us something very important. Again, I'm assuming at this point that Peter's going to jump into a deep theological conversation about the reason that this real human in a, in a real body, living in the power of God, why he had to die on a Roman cross. I just assume that's where we're going. I assume that we're going to pack this, this story full of theology. Understanding human wickedness and understanding then the holiness of God. We're going to maybe walk that Roman road where we talk about our sin, God's holiness, and the bridge that brings them together through the cross. I just assume that we're going to talk about sacrifice. We're going to talk about atonement. We're going to talk about the love of God. I just assume all of that's going to come in this next verse. But that's not what we find. Peter simply says that you killed Jesus and God brought him back to life. That's it. Those are the basic plot points of the story. You, you fellow Israelites, you along with wicked men, you killed Jesus and God raised him from the dead. Let's put this slide up right here. Here's the summary. Here's the summary. Let's go to the next one. Humans killed him. God raised him. Keep the slide up. Go to the one just before. I want us to see it right here. Verse 23. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. That's it. That's all Peter says then about this story for the first time. You killed him. You killed him. That's it. There's no, there's no heavy theology around that. There's no talk of the atonement. There's no talk about the wrath of God poured out on the Son. There's none of that. It's just just real simple. You, fellow Israelites, you killed Jesus. You see, I just assumed that we'd be talking about something deeply theological. But instead, we just have the simple narrative that humans killed Jesus. And God brought him back to life. And it struck me at that point that maybe if it's that important in the first sermon preached, that maybe, maybe it's that important every time they talk about it. Maybe all that theology I've come to assume is around the story of Jesus, all the meaning, all the reason, all the purpose that we've laid around it. Maybe, maybe all of that was added as they explored the depth of the story, but the story was always 
humans killed Jesus, God brought him back to life. So I just wondered, what if we went and looked at some of the other places where people talk about the story of Jesus, what would we find? Interestingly, what we find is that same story. And there's meaning behind that then. Let's take a look. I just want a, a summary here of where I want us to go. Here's the summary. Let's put that slide up. We're putting a slide up right now. There we go. When humans killed Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, sin and evil reached its peak. Jesus let human rebellion do its worst. But God's power was stronger and in love He brought His Son back to life. So that is the basic outline of the story. That this Son of God with a real human life and a real human body living in the power of God, He allowed humans to do their worst. And the worst was death, death on a cross. But God, in His love and power, brought Him back to life. That's the story. Interestingly, then, as we go back and look at all the times that people tell that story, those are the two basic plot points that get retold over and over. Interesting enough, when Jesus wants to tell His disciples, here's what will happen to Me, you know the thing He tells them? He tells them those two things. He doesn't wrap it with all the theology. He doesn't give, it all, give all the reason. In the basic form of the story, it is that humans will do their worst. But God will reverse it. That's, those are the two points. So take a look at how Jesus talks about it. I found this interesting. Never noticed this before. I just didn't notice how simple the story really was. Take a look at Matthew 16. Now we put in red where we see the, the killing piece of the story. And then in blue, the bringing back to life part of the story. Here's Matthew 16, 21. Jesus talking. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Two plot points there. He will be given over and He'll be killed and He's going to come back to life. Let's go to Matthew 17, 22-23. And when they came together in Galilee, He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him. There it is. Basic point. And on the third day, He will be raised to life. Let's now take a look at how Peter talks about this. Acts 3.15. This is in another sermon. We'll take a look at it in the weeks to come. Peter says this, You killed the author of life, but God raised Him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Take a look here, Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Then we know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Take a look, last sermon we want to look at here, Acts 10, 39-40. This is the last one for Peter. He says this, this is speaking to Cornelius, the first Gentile convert. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Now, interestingly, Paul does the same thing. Take a look at how Paul says it in Acts 13, 29-30. When they had carried out 
all that was written about him, and they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. They carried out all that was written about him. What was that? That they would kill him. But God raised him. Now last, look at Acts 17. Acts 17. Take a look. Let's go to that next slide. Okay. We do not have Acts 17. I just want you to imagine it's right there too. Here's, here's, so as we bring that forward, as we bring that forward, you know what I'm noticing? I'm noticing, number one, there isn't all this theology wrapped around the story. It is simply that they, humans, killed Jesus, but God reversed it and brought him back to life. That's simple. That's what the story is. It's not just that Jesus suffered. It's not like he just had cancer and he hurt really bad in his body and then he died. No, he had to be killed. Humans had to be allowed to do their worst. The rebellion that started back in the Garden of Eden that caused the fall of all of us, that rebellion had to be brought to its logical conclusion. That rebellion that said, I want to do it my way. God will not have oversight of my life. It will be my kingdom. And anyone steps on my kingdom, I will destroy them. It's that rebellion. That rebellion had to be drawn to its conclusion. So much so that finally, God in flesh was killed by us humans. But then God in His power reversed it. Because the power of God is stronger than any human rebellion. And He brought His Son back to life. That's what's happening here. You see, but still, if you're like me, that kind of still is a bit abstract. I mean, even with that insight that the story at its basic, at its, in its basic form is two key plot points. That is, he was killed and he was brought back to life. Even then, it seems a bit abstract, doesn't it? It just seems a bit out there. It seems somewhere else. But remember, it's Peter that's preaching the sermon. This is very important for us to remember about Peter. Take a look. I want to summarize it this way, what's going on with Peter. A bit of a, a longer summary, but walk with it. Walk, walk with me through it. Peter is preaching about someone he spent time with in real life. Someone he saw be killed on a cross. Someone he saw raised from the dead. He knows that Jesus is living with a resurrected body at that moment as He's speaking. He is the promised one. The King who is bringing the new creation to Israel and the world. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. I don't know that we tell the story any different. For all of our theological learning, for all of our Bible study, for all of our love of books and learning, if it was you and it was me, I think we would tell the story the exact same way. We would get people to the point. And so it helps me. I hope it's going to help you. I just want to put on our imaginary, our, uh, activate our imaginations. Imagine, not that Jesus is alive somewhere way out there, but for Peter it was as if Jesus was right there with him. And if you could imagine Jesus standing right there, you'd probably say the exact same thing. Now, I didn't tell my second son I was going to do this, and you're going to find out he's not dressed for the part. But I'm going to ask him to come up on stage. I just need you to put the iPad down, keep the big camera angle where you are. 
So come up on stage, Ethan, if you would. I want you to imagine this is what was happening on that day as Peter preached. With your bombas socks and everything. All right, sorry, I didn't, I, I didn't, I forgot to tell you this was going to happen. So I want you to imagine Peter's preaching and he says, I want to tell you about this man, you're Jesus. Just so you know, you're Jesus. You won't be Jesus after this service and we go home. But right now, you are Jesus. You even still have your punishment. But right now, you're Jesus. All right. You ready? Okay. So Peter, as he stands in front of the crowd, he says, I need to tell you about this man. You all know, you know about this man. This man walked among you. He did miracles. He brought your people back to life. He healed your mom. He cast a demon out of your brother. You knew this man. But you killed him. You killed him on a Roman cross. You along with other wicked men. You know what you did. Just, just weeks ago, you remember he was on a cross just outside the city. You remember him hanging. You've heard the stories. You killed this man. But, you, but now you know. You see the things happening. You hear us speaking in different languages. Felt the wind moving on this day. Tongues of fire. His spirit. He's right here. This man God brought back to life. Death couldn't hold him. He's alive. And now he's king of the world. And I, I bow to this man. This man, you know him. We killed him. But he's alive again. So I'm going to ask you, what will you do? Will you be your own king? Will you follow your own way? Can you do that now that you see a man killed, now brought back to life? This is the one God always promised. He is our true king. His name will be great forever and ever. So you're going to have to choose who will you follow? Will you follow this one who was killed because we killed him, or, but God brought him back to life? What will you do with him? Now, if there was really a human being who you killed standing right there in front of you, you would be thinking the same thing. I'm probably going to have to follow that guy. Because I've never known anyone come back to life like that guy. Something has happened. I give my life to this guy. This is now my king. Because now he rules the world. He's alive. For Peter, preaching that sermon... It was as real as him standing right there in that moment. So I want us to envision, as we read Acts 2, in Peter's mind, he is proclaiming the basic form of the story that you would tell and I would tell. We would say, that man who you knew, who you killed, he's now alive and he's king of the world. That's what we would do. And we'd probably be a lot more prone to follow this man if we could just see him. Ah, oh, that's what's happening next too. Thank you, Ethan. You were a great Jesus. You are now human. You're now human again. You're not. You're not not Jesus anymore. All right. Thank you, Ethan. That's what's happening next too. That's why he tells the story the way he does it. Because if you and I told the same story, we would get to the point. And that is, you killed this guy and God raised him up. Now you decide where you who you who will you follow. Uh, now, as the early Christians that began to think and they began to reflect on the depth of that death and that resurrection, it's at that point, 
as the decades went by that they began to understand how deep and rich and theological, how much it was tied into the story of Israel, that death and resurrection. And that's when we get all those verses that we would think that we would be talking about. Take a look. Just look at some of these. This is what now Christians later on began to do. They began to wrap that death and resurrection with meaning. Not in the first sermon, but later on. Take a look. Romans 4.25 He was delivered over to death for our sins. He was raised to life for our justification. You see, as Peter preached and said, this guy, you know this guy. You killed him, but God brought him back. Later, they'll begin to really unpack what all that means. It means He died for you. When you killed Him, He was actually dying for you. And when He came back to life, He was justifying you. That's the richness of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then Hebrews chapter 9.28, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Oh, there's a lot going on in that basic story. And then earlier, Hebrews chapter four, uh, 2, verse 14 through 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear of their death, by, by their fear of death. All of that's wrapped around this story of Jesus. You see, if we knew this man who performed miracles, brought people back to life, and then who we killed, and then we saw him come back to life and now reigning in the universe, and we saw it, we knew him, and we reflected on it year after year after year, we'd say something like, wow, you know he was dead and he was brought back to life. He destroyed death. He took our humanity to its depth of despair and evil, and He reversed it in the power of God. And now we have the promise of life. You know, if we die, we won't actually die. He is alive, and if I'm connected to Him, then I'm alive. He was a sacrifice for my sins. All of that is wrapped around that simple form of the narrative. And He went around in a real human body and the power of God. And then you, wicked men, killed him. But God brought him back to life. He's living right now. Oh, that is the story that has to be lodged in the heart. And it probably takes a little imagination to get there. Because so often, all this theology, all this deeper thinking can put a crust of boredom and irrelevance around the story of Jesus. There's nothing boring or irrelevant about this story. Because Jesus is alive today as He was in Acts 2 when this first sermon was preached. He's in a real resurrected body right now. King of kings, Lord of lords. And one day He will return and He will institute the new creation. Death will not have the final say. That's the hope we have. So we take all of that and we want to just drop that then into real life and let's make some application. So I've got three, three channels I want to walk on to get to the application. Let's take that first one. Here's this first application. We see ourselves in the story. We need to see ourselves in the story. The sin and rebellion in our hearts in 2021 is the same sin 
that killed Jesus in A.D. 33. We're not innocent bystanders. I think it's really important for us to understand. And I think it's probably a good thing to remember that so many times as we saw as the death of Jesus is talked about, it's not some passive death. It's not some, it's not some sickness that overtook His body. He was killed. You killed Him. And I killed Him. The same sin in them is the same sin in us. It was our rebellion that put Him on that cross. And so let's remember that we did that. And we're probably never as good as we think we are. We probably should be disabused of that every day to think that we are so good. You see, this is that prayer Jesus taught us, forgive us of our sins. A good prayer to pray every day to remind ourselves of those sins. And so we remember that we have the same condition that they did. Take a look, second application here. God is in the business. God is in the business of resurrection. He puts broken things back together. Humans did their worst, but God reversed it and raised His Son from the dead. This is really good news. It means that when your marriage crumbles, when you find Jesus, He has a way of putting things back together. I don't know if that means that it's going to put your marriage back together, but I'll tell you this, that God will waste none of your pain. It means that if you lose a loved one to COVID or cancer or a heart attack and you feel like your world is just lost, not with Jesus, it's lost. God will make sure to put it all back together. In the new creation, everything will be made right for every student of Jesus. And we know that because He, he took all humans, humanity's worst. He took the rebellion that killed His Son and He put it all back together. He reversed it. And as C.S. Lewis says in the Chronicles of Narnia, He made death work backwards. And so if you can imagine so many things that are broken in your life, or maybe my life, and you can imagine God pushing rewind, and He rewinds it and things are put back together. Never exactly like they were. But He makes all things well. And we know that because He's the one that brought Jesus back from the dead. So wherever you are right now, maybe in a lot of despair or a lack of hope, know that this simple story, these two plot points tell us that God is in the business of putting things back together. Third thing, third thing is this. This will drive us to our next step. We are forced to evaluate whether we really believe Jesus is living right now, interacting with us, interacting with us in real life. You see, I think we have... We, we have a way of talking about Jesus in the abstract that doesn't do us any good in real life. Jesus is just as real as Ethan was as he stood right here next to me. That is how real Jesus is. He is alive right now in a resurrected body. He took his new human body with him, which means he's going to take all of his brothers and sisters who are connected with him into the new creation. And he now has given us his spirit as a down payment to say, I guarantee your future. But I think sometimes we struggle to imagine that He's that real. I wonder sometimes if we're like a little child. Can you imagine a little child who's holding the hand of their mom or dad walking into a dark room and the child is saying, I trust you, I trust you. But the whole time they're walking forward, the child's trying to rip the hand away. You know, if your child did that, the words, I trust you, wouldn't hold nearly as much power. Because at that moment, as the child is ripping their hands away, 
That's the thing that says everything. And I wonder if we're like a little child sometimes. And we're declaring, I trust you, I trust you, but the whole time we're running away from Him or we're trying to rip our hands out of His hand because we really don't believe that where He is leading us is good. So we're going to need help with that. We need help really believing, really knowing that Jesus is alive right now, interacting with us in our real lives. And so I want to take a next step to help us get to a place where we, at least we've taken another step to knowing the reality of the resurrected Jesus in our day, right here in 2021. Here it is. This is our next step. Tell a fellow Christian that Jesus is alive right now. Now, that might seem like an odd next step. But you and I need each other. We need each other to grow in faith. And so what I want us to do this week is just send a message or a phone call. It might even seem a bit awkward. But just do that Easter thing we do. That thing where we say, Jesus is alive. He's alive indeed. Or we say something like, Jesus is alive and He's risen. We have these ways of talking about it. And we, we have these mantras we, uh, that we will declare on Easter Sunday. Well, make this week Easter Sunday. What would it be like this week as you're just going through your normal day? Maybe you're getting your hair cut. And here comes a text message from your friend. Here comes that message from Larry. And all he says is, just wanted to remind you, Jesus is alive right now. Oh, right now, as you sit in the barber chair, Jesus is alive. He's with you. Oh, encouragement. And so we want to encourage one another. Don't try to willpower this. Send a reminder to someone you know. It'll probably be another Christian. And remind them that Jesus is risen right now. Not risen somewhere in the past. He is alive right now. So send a reminder. Send a reminder by, by phone, text message, email. Put a comment on Facebook or YouTube. Find a way to encourage someone. You see, the story of Jesus is that he was killed by humans. But in the power of God, he was brought back to life. And he's living right now. That's the person we follow. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. Although virtual, we pray your spirit has knit us together as a church family and those even at a distance. Because Jesus is alive right now. Literally, he is among us. And his spirit is knitting us together even virtually. And we are grateful for that. Would you help everyone in despair, everyone lacking hope, or anyone in open rebellion or struggling with unbelief, move them to a place to see the outlines of this most powerful story, the story of the world, that God in flesh was killed by humans in their rebellion, but you reversed their evil and brought him back to life so death no longer has a hold. That's the story we hold on to. And we pray it in your name, King Jesus, alive right now. And together we say it.